Welcome to Indie Odyssey, a writer's journey, aka publishing hell. My name is Hazel. I am Jamie. We will take you step by step as we launch our writing careers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I first want to say thank you for continuing to listen to us. <laughs> um, we really appreciate it. So, thank you. All right. Hazel, you are launching. Yeah. Well, I mean, assuming by the time people listen to this, the book is out in the world. Yes. I mean, that's kind of funny because I feel like in some ways the book has been secretly out in the world for like over a month <laughs> because the audiobook's been out, um, the paperback released early on Amazon, which I didn't announce to anybody. We can get into that and what, the why of that in other episodes, but yeah, so it's officially out in the world and people know about it, I assume, maybe like five people know about it. I think more people know about it than five. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know more than five people know I about it. I do too. I do too. Because I mean, you was it you who screenshotted the number of people who uh, put it on their like to read list on Goodreads? I did. <laughs> uh, which... So this episode isn't necessarily just talking about the fact that your book launched, which is January 23rd. Mm-hmm. So if this drops on the 23rd or slightly after, like a couple of days after, then your book will be officially out. So this isn't necessarily like a, hey, my book's out, go buy it episode. This is, we're going to talk about just the process of how the book became. But back to what you asked. Yes, I did. Because we've um, been looking at... Goodreads because you know we were just kind of checking on you know stats and stuff which is doing this yourself as an independent author with you know not the backing of a publishing house you know those are the things that you're gonna kind of pay attention to and keep an eye on so I just noticed that there were 700 people who marked it as want to read and I was like this is impressive because you didn't ask people to put it on like maybe the very first time you did the cover reveal, you did that. But I feel like that just happened. Like we hadn't been looking at it. And then I randomly looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this is like, not, I guess it sounds bad to say this is more than I thought, but it was like, oh, like that was more than I thought. Like, I don't know why, like, that sounds weird to say that, but yeah. and I don't mean it in a bad way. It was just like a, like a, oh shit. Like that's amazing. Well, they- I think the last time I had looked or something, and again, I have been banned from Goodreads <laughs> by Jamie and our friend Amanda, um, but I think the last time I had seen it, it was closer to like 300 or something, mm. So, and and then I banned myself from Goodreads because I don't need to be there. It, yeah. It's not helpful to be there. Um, so yeah. I was surprised too, but then with how many um, requests and wishes and stuff I'd been fielding on NetGalley, I was kind of like not as surprised because of how many was over there, which again, like I feel like NetGalley was one of the best things I could have done. Um, but I had no idea how successful it was going to be like prior to that, because I, I just closed my NetGalley. Like uh, it's officially done. It's now like you can't, request it like it's not even on there anymore um and by the end I had over 530 people request or wish for the book um because at a certain point I took the ability to request off um 
which is insanely amazing. Um, yeah. And I've been, I was told by somebody else that most books in that same time period get about a hundred requests. So it, it was a lot um, and it, in a very <laughs> overwhelming way because I had to field them all myself. And that was a lot of work. And then, and then obviously there is a section that gives reviews and it's very easy to see and it's very hard to avoid. So I was a bad baby for a couple days <laughs> and I saw some mean reviews, <laughs> which is by the way, like those are so few compared to like the overwhelming, like yeah. positive reviews. But And the cool thing about these reviews is they were just genuine reader reviews. Like these are not these are people who requested it because you also didn't post it that you were on NetGalley. Mm-hmm. So anyone listening to this might be like, what? I didn't even know that. And that was intentional on your part. You didn't want to announce it. It was on NetGalley. And so for the fact that you had that many, I would say, however, however, the that co-op worked with announcing it or just people seeing it on NetGalley was pretty, again, I mean. I think it's I, NetGalley's <laughs> back end. Like, I think it's kind of their algorithm. So I think the way that it works, because the people who announced it on NetGalley, like they got one, like, like, I don't think anybody saw it that way. What I think it was is the first week you're on NetGalley, they push it to, for people Mm -hmm. to see. And if it starts to get traction, they continue to push it. And so what happened with courting war, and you can see on the back end, like what people are liking and why they're requesting. What happened with Courting War is the combination of having a really solid blurb and a really mm-hmm. solid cover to push that up the ranking on NetGalley. And then the other crazy thing that happened was I was ranking on NetGalley in the top, you know, most requested against huge trad books. So that was kind of in- just overwhelmingly crazy to experience. Yeah, that's it's a really cool. It was a really cool experience to see you go through it alongside you. Um, so, and again, like I have no idea how that is going to translate, right, translate. or scale. Like, it yeah. seems like it's been such a positive and overwhelmingly like wonderful experience thus far, but I have no idea how that's going to scale to like the mass yeah. market. Fair, um, but. Back to the original point where this started. More than five people know about your book. <laughs> it's, I think it's six, actually. <laughs> so what, how, how did Courting War come to be? Like, where did this idea come from? What was your inspiration? Um, we'll start there. Yeah. Well, I mean, to take it all the way back to like 11 and 12 years old, when I first heard about <laughs> Athena, I think that's where it started. I think I was, uh, this sounds so stupid, but I feel like I was meant to write this book because when I first met Athena, I was like, this is the woman I want to be. I mean, I know she's a god, so maybe that's a narcissistic statement, but like the powerful, like she's the goddess of war. She doesn't like, you know, she is this is kind of, you know, the sexist version of her, like part of her story, but like if she was born a man, she would have overthrown Zeus. And that's why he ate her mother and he, she was born from his head. Like, um, I'm yeah. sorry. What? Yeah. So the story, I, I did not know this. Like the, the story of Athena's birth is the fates were like, um, so if you have a baby boy with this, this, this one, uh, it's going to be so powerful. It's going to overthrow you. And so Zeus being Zeus was like, no fucking way and so he ate his wife or well it wasn't his wife he would eat he ate his lover and then <laughs> and then athena 
was fully born in full armor, like from his head. He started having like this horrible headache and was like, oh my God, why do I have such a headache? And someone like hit him with like an ax or something to like fix it. I mean, stupid stuff, right? But they're gods. And from uh, fully for Clearly, I do, from- I do not know my Greek mythology. Like, cause I'm just over here like, what? <laughs> yeah. Fully formed from his head in the ax hole was Athena. And she was born as like this full blown, powerful, badass woman. Uh, God, obviously, who is essentially, at least my take of that story, is the second most powerful God in the Pantheon. So um, to me, I was like, this is the type of woman I want to read in stories. And then the other thing about Athena is she's both villain and hero. She's very neutral. Like she has a lot of moments that are both. And I've always loved her. And so to me, like ever since I was 11 and I met her, I was like in awe of Athena. And then as I got older and I got more connected to my own culture and history and being very Celtic, I started to learn about the Celt gods. And in the Celt version of gods, uh, there is this person named the Morrigan. And the Morrigan is also a war goddess, but she's often referred to as like three in one. And so uh, that's where I got the idea of like having athena be a triplet and them being very interconnected with one another and the ravens come from the morrigan and so that that that's how theo came to be and theo came to be in my head long before i ever wrote her so like i think back in like 2017 2018 is when i first was like i'm gonna write this book and i wrote the very first chapter of the book back then um and that hasn't really changed much nothing about that first page has changed much since 20. 18 early 2019 um but then i i set that book down to work on all the other books i was working on um and i had originally when i was on the call with my agent back during the offer call back eons ago um i had told her about courting war on the call and she's like oh you should work on that next so she like from the call she seemed to be very excited about it but then in the meantime working on gilded wicked mirrors which was the book i got my agent with we worked on that thing for so long. We like, she made me rewrite it like four times, like 80%. Like it was a whole lot of work. Um, but in that time, a book called Lore had come out by Alexander Bracken. Yeah, I have it. Mm-hmm. And so then because of that, uh, my ex-agent was like, well, I don't know that you can write Courting War anymore because it's too much like Lore. And I was like, it really isn't though. And it's, Courting it's War was not at all. Not actually. at all. Courting War was originally young adult, which, I mean, you can kind of get a feel of that in the book. Um, But yeah, I mean, so that's kind of how it all came to be was like, I knew I was going to write it after Gilded Wicked Mirrors because I kind of got the green light to do that. Um, So then I picked it back up like the latter half of 2020. And then I uh, wrote it (laughs) in in 2021. Oh man. And that was, um, I'm not going to say it's the most painful experience of writing a book I've ever had because Wolfsbane Hall came right after that. But um, the two of them in combination, I, it's like, I, I never want to write a book again (laughs) because of how (laughs) painful they were. I mean, I'm kidding, but they were, I was writing with incredible insecurities and while on submission and just basically hearing that you suck every single day is not a fun place to be writing 
from. And and I'm sure the anxiety of being on submission and, you know, wanting to hear back. And like, like you just said, getting rejections from editors while you're trying to write something else. I can only imagine how tough that would be. Yeah. And, and what was, what really sucks about submission to be quite frank with you is it, it's kind of feast or famine. Like if you're very lucky, it goes very quickly. Otherwise you're in a famine. And if you're lucky at the end of that famine, you still get a book deal. But most of us, like it's 1% of 1% get a book deal. So 1% of people get an agent a year, 1% of that 1% get a book deal. Like it's hard. Um, For the rest of us, we just end up with a long, slow, dying process of a book. And with Gilded Wicked Mirrors, I never imagined it would die. So it was incredibly emotional and quite frankly, like depressing. Yeah. Um, and that's where this book was written in a land of depression and angst and sadness and grumpy, well, grumpy Hazel. Maybe that's <laughs> so. why we have Theo and who, why part of who she is is who she is, you know, um, among like the inspiration you gave us, right? Like of, of why you, you chose to write this character and what she represented and, and the triplets and things like that. But I yeah. think we put more of situations and and ourselves and books than we realize like maybe not always but I think it can definitely bleed through oh 100% because now that you say that I'm like oh yeah you're right she's a grumpy little asshole and then Celestine who I wrote like right after her you know the other book I mentioned that was really hard to write is so incredibly insecure and like that's what I was processing at that point in time so oh wow okay I'm just writing myself into books (laughs) I think I think we do it. I mean, how else do we write if we aren't writing from things that we've experienced or observed or, you know, had an idea about something like that? So is there anything specific about the writing process? Like, How long did it take you to write it? Was it well, you said it was basically excruciating, but did it still take a while? Or... Oh, yeah. So the last two books are very out of sequence for me. Like, that's the wrong way of raising that, but out of norm. So Gilded Wicked Mirrors, I drafted in 17 days. Oh my and God. Then, yeah. And then it Jeez. took, <laughs> I know. And then it took 40 days to put the prose in because I drafted that as right. a screenplay. And then it took 40 days to put the prose in. So that makes you feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it, cause yeah, if you really look at like the first draft of every, well, I've, decided to change the way I draft but of those books it was like 40,000 words which is still a lot of words 30 days after that 17 I did the prose um so in reality it was two months um from like beginning to end uh and that's how fast I can write in theory and I wrote uh other books fast like that too so it's not like the only one um but courting more from its initial as a screenplay by the way I need you to know this. It took me nine months to write the screenplay of of Courting War. And then it took, I'm going to say, another four months to put the prose in. So in over a year. And then it was, uh, let's just say my ex-agent hated it and uh, told me it didn't have a hook and she didn't know how to sell it. Um so I had spent all of that time excruciating trying to get this book out to just then be told, like, it's not a book that's going to succeed. 
uh like i'll okay. let it was basically the, the the thing was it's not a book that's going to succeed but i'll let you try to revise it and see if i like it after revision is pretty much what it, what was i was told also anyone who's listening to this that is still on the line of trad or you're just interested in indie like just because you get an agent <laughs> doesn't mean it's all butterflies and rainbows yeah yeah and and i've said this many times like having no agent at all is better than having a bad agent for you and for me in particular the agent that I had was a bad agent for me. She's a good agent. Like she literally just announced a deal this morning, which was so exciting and amazing. And I'm still very supportive of her and her clients and everyone I met through her. I love her, but she just wasn't a good agent for me. Um, my writing style doesn't work for her. Like just the way that I revise, we just don't do well together. Um, and it made me more and more insecure the longer I was in relationship with her. That's nice that you've that's not nice because you did it because you loved your agent but it's nice that you've had that experience um from on both sides of the coin right so speaking of having an agent and being on submission was there any influences would you say from being from writing it for a trad uh path that you know influenced the book like the length of the book or maybe the pacing or anything like that, that had an influence. Yeah. I'd say everything. <laughs> um, Fair. So, so much of it was written as in the structure and everything was written as a YA. Um, okay. Uh, you know, fantasy. Um, and, and the thing is I wouldn't change that in my writing style. Like I like the pacing of YA fantasy. I like I a lot too. about YA yeah. fantasy. Um. But it's funny because I was writing YA fantasy, but I was writing adult, like even the whole time I was writing adult. And like when my agent had read it, she was like, this is feels too adult. <laughs> like That was well, one of the so, comments. So was the always 10,000 years old goddess or was, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh, so yeah. But, but, but Kellen was 19. <laughs> okay. So we flipped it. <laughs> yeah. It was the twilight, but she was 10,000 and he was 19. Right. Now he's 24 because I didn't want to like age him up too much because I felt like, uh, I don't know. I, I felt like to be a part of the sacrifice, they still probably would want you to be younger, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, so now they're 24. And uh, I should have made him 25 and had a full form prefrontal cortex, but I just didn't. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's part of the reason she thought the book felt so adult. She's like, your main character is 10,000 years old. I was like, I'm not changing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's also why it was so short because at the time and, and still, um, editors weren't wanting to read long submissions. So my agent was like, keep this below 90, get it to 85. So I gave it to her at around 85,000 words. So it was really short. And it's funny because I, I didn't see the review, but I know Amanda, our mutual friend is just like keeping track of my reviews. And she told me, she's like, Hazel, somebody said this was a short story. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. Well, it feels like the book feels not small. Like I have it somewhere. I don't know where it is, but, um, Here. and it sounds bad. I did finish it, even though I said I don't know where it is. Here. It's on my desk or somewhere over there. So it does like feel small in the, in the sense of like the thickness, but that's like you said, you formatted it that way. 
Yeah. But really 90, because now it's 90,000 words, right? Yeah, it's it, it's basically almost exactly 90. I don't know how I did it, like, magic that way, but, um, yeah. And, and that's not short for a book. No, especially not, like, it, in in indie land, not indie romantic land, but in indie general land, like, all, like, the people that we hang out with in the morning sometimes, Jamie, like, they're writing, like, 30. I know. To, like, 50 to like 60,000 word books. And I'm like, yeah, obviously it takes me longer to write a book than you guys because I'm writing 90,000 word books. This is my shortest book at 90,000. That's why I laughed at the whole short story thing. I was like, well, I'm, you're going to like Gilded with Mirrors and all my other books because those ones come in at yeah. like minimum 100. And honestly, now that I have the leeway to like let it get longer, I still don't want I don't, I still don't want par scenes and stuff that make no sense and are just filler, right. but yeah. I mean, there's certain books that I want to write to one thirty, so I will. Yeah. I, it's funny because I did the same thing with my book and I wrote it to 85, 80, I think it was 84, 300, or I don't know, something like that. Right. Like it was right around 85,000. And I also wrote it as, well, I, I say I wrote it as YA but from the very beginning, and I'm sure my friends would would be like, yeah, she said that. Like, I was always teetering on the fence of adult or YA. Like, and I think I've said that in the previous episode where I, I felt like it was an adult story, but my heart was so in wanting to be published in YA trad that I leaned more into the YA. And so now that I've decided to pursue indie and doing you know self-publishing so for myself I decided to change it to adult and and it feels better and then touching on the length um I've been revising it and not necessarily changing so much about the the plot or the pacing so I'm not trying to mess up you know any of that because again I also like YA pacing I'm already at I'm already at 90,000 words in 20 chapters like <laughs> Yeah, I know. And I keep telling you, like, it's fine because you're you're going to indie publish it. So it's fine. Yeah. So I want to try to keep it around like 100 or right under 100. But uh, we'll see what happens when I get further into the book. But and, and this could, you know, things could change after I get the edits back. But it's just interesting that I've added 5,000 words for half the book. But it feels better. Yeah. So 100. It's interesting. And I, it's funny because now I think about word count differently because I, yeah. and I, in, in the same way that traditional publishers think about it they're like lower word count is cheaper i'm now as indying i am experiencing that because yeah as much as i love my audiobook that costs <sighs> nearly by no yeah nearly five thousand dollars yeah and uh to produce on my own and then yeah. um you know each book to print the longer the listen word. to it on spotify <laughs> and if you have premium for free <laughs> Yes, exactly. And and many, many other places and, and eventually Audible. Um, please, because I would like to make <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's free on Spotify. Just go listen to it like, on premium if you've premium. Exactly. Self, shameless plug. Please go listen to it. Put your volume all the way down and just and you don't let even, it play. You don't even have to listen to the book. Just go play yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> I did that. I already listened to it. And I'm like, I'm just going to listen to it again because... I mean, why not? I didn't even know my premium subscription had audiobooks. So what a perfect way to use it. I, I know, right? So. Me too. Me too. I didn't know it was there. And I didn't know. I mean, there's so many things I don't know, right? Right. Um, but yeah, and then page count obviously makes, not obviously, yeah. page count makes the book more expensive to produce. 
um, physically. Well, and so. she, but the narrator read it like, I mean, she is amazing. She did such a great job, but 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 narrating it a little slightly. They both narrated slower. Slow. They, so they that, both. I love them both, but they both narrated really slow, which cost so me more money. Also <laughs> cost you more money. <laughs> So, and I'm like, as much as I love you guys, I kind of also hate you now. <laughs> so also, if you're going to do an audiobook, be like, please don't narrate this slowly. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can tell them that because I know I have like I, I did it through a producer that like makes it feel like it's traditionally published. So basically all you have, well, if you're traditionally published, just let me tell you, like, you're not going to have as much opinion about who the audiobook sure. narrators are. But they, they try to do everything else so that you don't have to do anything, which is what I, I will pay for that. Like I pay extra for that, you know? Um, but what, what I will say is I don't have a lot of like interactions with the narrators. I actually think you have had more interactions <laughs> with Ashley than I have. So, I probably, but she's so sweet. So I, I like her. I think she's great. I think she's a great narrator. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was listening to somebody say that they think it's an agent say that they think that the trend is going to be shorter books not necessarily like in maybe fantasy because fantasy you have to world build but i was like i'm not sure how i feel about that because i don't want you know i don't want to i don't know let's just say claire legrand's new book a crown of ivy and glass and looking at it like it's so big I don't know if I want to, I would want to write like that big of a book but i think the 90 to 100 is a good range if if you can do it well so I think, in my opinion, it depends on whether you're indie or trad. So um, if you're a trad and you're debuting, I would say 100% stick below 100 and probably stick below 90 because, again, you got, you want to make it easier for editors to read on submission. Like, you just want to make it, like, so readable. Um, but what I will say beyond that, I think the readership in indie – from my experience in the reviews and DMs and all this stuff has been like, this is a really short book. Like, love it. It was great pacey, all this stuff, but super short. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. So I think the readers actually want longer books. And I think if you look at like Carissa Broadbent and like Sarah J Mass and uh, like all of the people who are big and who are established, they're writing longer books. Um, and so that's what the readers are expecting like their expectation is but as far as like i think it's a smart thing if you are entering into this field in indie or trad to write a shorter book just because if you write a shorter book in indie as your debut it's going to cost less money for certain things like audiobook and pages and whatever if you write a shorter book in trad then it's going to be easier for editors to read but in general i don't agree with shorter books yeah, I mean that's fair, especially as a as a debut for both indie and for um, trad. Which again, that's why I'm, I'm my goal is to keep it around a hundred. Um, if it's one ten, I think that's probably fine. But we'll see what happens when I get to the end. Um, yeah, but also the other thing about page count um, or word count, word whatever, um, the the amount of actual uh, royalties that you get per book lowers the bigger your book gets that's true because the printing they charge you more for printing so well and, and go ahead and if you're going through income with expanded distribution alone and you want to be in all these bookstores and stuff which is great i'm at one dollar a book through ingram because yeah. at at the page count i'm at 
because if I wanted to make more money, I would have to put my book at like $35, which is ridiculous just to make any money off of that book. So I'm making a dollar a book through any uh, indie store, any Barnes and Noble, like anything that distributes through Ingram. And then on Amazon, which like love them, hate them. I'm also printing through Amazon books bought there. I make um, closer to $6 a book. Yeah. It's significantly different. So yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the longer your book gets that more, that dollar gets down to 60 cents or whatever. I mean, it's kind of insane. That's why you're seeing um, much larger prices on indie books recently. Yeah. I'm sure we can get into another episode, like the, the royalties and the cuts and like what that looks like and why. And, you know, we're sure, I'm yeah. sure that Ingram and Amazon are taking more of a cut than they were previously and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's not like it's any better for trad. You just have a different distribution and you get the advance, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to make up your advance, but you oftentimes are getting around that same amount, you know, one to two dollars a book or something like that. So you know, it's anyway, that's yeah. a discussion yeah. probably for another time. Right. So we were talking about courting war. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. In theory. So, yeah. So we talked about like, you know, the trad influence and stuff. So what about the representation that you have in your book? So you have written a character with dyslexia and you also have a character with colorblindness. Mm-hmm. So I would love mm-hmm. to hear about that. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, that was something that was always my heart and intention to do. Like every book that I had written since I got my agent had somebody who was dyslexic in it because I really wanted to write a book that I felt like felt real to me in the experience because every dyslexic character I've ever read didn't feel like it was written by somebody who was actually dyslexic. It felt like somebody who knew nothing really about the disorder or what it felt like to have it. And I wanted to put a character on the page where you really felt what it was like to have dyslexia. And, um, and obviously I'm dyslexic, ADHD. Um, and so that was really, really important to me. Quinn in Gilded Wicked Mirrors was dyslexic. I made Callan dyslexic for the same reason. And, um, you know, and love it, hate it, but people, have really, really responded super well to him. But then there are people who have responded very negatively to him because he is so internally um, flawed and internally um, insecure in his first couple chapters. Some readers have really hated that. And that's okay. I mean, I, I knew that would happen because a lot of readers just want shadow daddies who are strong and you don't get their POV and like all that. But that's not what this yeah. book is. And that's not what Theo needed. And it's not what Kellen needed to be. So... I write bad toxic daddies too, but Kellen is not one of them. Um, I like though that you flipped it, that it's the, the lady daddy. Um, and that we, we get a male character who is, who's more gentle while he's still physically strong, I mean, he's physically super hot too. I mean, right. I have a picture of him. Let's not <laughs> pretend he's not hot over here. Well, and that's what I mean. Like that it's not like a toxic sh- you know, a male character that we all just love, like Damon, because I don't know why we like them in in fiction. (laughs) But it's nice to see that kind of character and have that portrayed. And and especially because of having, you know, having dyslexia and having that representation in the book, 
that that's why internally he is the way he is. So if you pay attention to that in the book, it makes sense for his character, for his arc, for what he goes through in the challenges and the games. And it yeah. also makes sense that that him and Theo balance each other out, right? So she is the the male that we traditionally see, and he would be like the female we traditionally see. So I personally liked that they were flipped. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think too, like, like Kellen is very masculine. I think that's the part that kind of frustrates me about it is like the only reason you're having a problem with it is you're getting his POV and you get to see how insecure he is because to the mm-hmm. outside world, he is right. this sexy six foot six Greek god looking muscular right. Hercules looking man, right? And he is very arrogant in his own right. Like he's very soft and kind and wonderful to the people around him because he's not a dick, but he's like still very masculine and has a lot of masculine tendencies and traits and is also a warrior mm-hmm. um and really good at that and theo to her own right has a lot of really feminine traits and so mm-hmm. uh, to me what i really wanted to do with theo in particular was my whole life goal and honestly probably for the rest of my life goal is to write female anti-heroes that we love yeah. as much as batman because we love Batman and we would never say shit about Batman, right? I want to write women who are like that. Because there are. And the other thing about Theo is 99% of the book, she's not showing how she is the goddess of war and can literally probably kill anything. There yeah. is a moment that you get to see that. But, like, most of her story is very much in this land of not having to be that strong female character type that can kick everybody's ass. I mean, she can. Let's be real. She can. But... Right. But yeah, but so he, so can he, I mean, so to me, I just really wanted to write a male character who was real because men like him exist out there. I have a best friend who's like, we joke is like basically Kellen. So, um, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) you know who you are. Um, yeah, anyway, enough about that, but it was really important to me to, write a character who felt dyslexic not just was dyslexic well i think it came across um very well and you know we've seen some of the reviews and because you're allowed to see the good ones (laughs) (laughs) um and and people are really resonating with his you know dyslexia and his that representation you wrote and it's obviously real because you you have it like so you know it you you've experienced it you've lived Mm it live with it um and people are really resonating with it and yeah, so and for oh go ahead go ahead no I was gonna say I I I even cut some of it like in his first chapter I'd explained a lot more and I was like okay I don't I guess they don't really need to know that it's not just mixing up words it's like a language dysfunction in your brain so you mix up sounds I was like I'm pretty sure that's in there but I cut a lot of it from his first chapter <laughs> I, yeah I think it's in a later chapter um yeah well but... probably when he's trying to read yeah and then trying to spell i'm a villain i truly am a villain um and what about cecile so because right cecile cecile yeah um that one to me was like i just feel like women aren't there are a lot of women who are colorblind but it's obviously um much more rare than men who are colorblind especially um in the red blue i mean sort of red green uh way um and it was just important to me to just, again, show reality 
on the page. So it's not even just Cecile. It's like, I wanted to show that Emmett is, you know, like he wears dresses, but it's still masculine. Like these are things that can coexist. And, um, and like, you know, Haven and Arity just being openly on the page married to each other, you know? So like, to me, these are things that like, I just wanted to really show without really even needing to go deeper into that or explain it, you know? I think, I I definitely think you wrote a really balanced, like diverse world where people live with things, I'll just call them, um, that we live with every day. Like they are just normal people. And I thought that was great. Like you didn't explain like why these two well she's not really god but why they're married i mean well you know why they're married but like you you didn't be like you weren't like well it's not allowed and then but because they're gods like she can do it like it doesn't you don't it felt very just natural um same thing with cecile you know it wasn't it wasn't yeah it felt very natural it wasn't like harped on obviously except for the the challenges and the games because that was the point of the games right was to use your like insecurities and your um weaknesses against you weaknesses against you yeah obviously for cecile she can't distinguish between red and green and so that's going to be a weakness that the gods are going to use and then obviously for kellen like he can't (laughs) read very well so anytime like honestly i look back at it and every challenge except the death challenge is kind of a troll to him because even the first challenge they're in a library (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i um kellen hates me no, I think it was great. I and mean, you did a great job. You didn't over explain anything. I mean, you obviously explained more of the dyslexia because he's a main character, but and then Cecile because of the challenge. But otherwise, like the whole world, it was just very like, this is just the yeah. world we live in. And I, I and just kind of wanted to normalize the fact that the world yeah. is this diverse, uh, you know, yeah. across the board. Um, and yeah, like we didn't, I didn't need to explain that. Like, yeah, being gay is totally fine in this world. Who, like, yeah. everyone that's like everyone's fine with that you know yeah Um, exactly so yeah that was great no i think that you it was the whole book was great in that sense oh lady daddy (laughs) let's talk about lady daddies (laughs) yeah we kind of did but we kind of did i mean my goal in life is to always write a lady daddy i mean not every book has them in them but again like yeah i I want shadow daddies and I want lady daddies and I want them all. And I want them all in all the books. Like Mm -hmm. the next book I'm writing right now is both a lady daddy and a shadow daddy, you know, battling it out, which is fun and hard to write. Um, I am here for it because I realize that's what I like. And I, I wrote Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I leaned into it hard in this revision. I mean, she's not like over, she's not a shadow dad. Well, she, Kind of. She should be. <laughs> Just read it. <laughs> I will when you give it to um, me. Because otherwise I would give it away. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway. In like three weeks I will read it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I like this. Um, I, I'll just say that I wrote her as an anti-hero and there was, there's reasons for that. And I realize I'm drawn to stories like that. And so the next... I mean, I have to write the second one because I it will be like a duology. But what I like about these characters is they're very real, too, in the sense that 
it's okay to be like this and to also be feminine and you can be multifaceted uh even as a lady daddy so let's get yeah. let's get some more lady daddies out and here i feel like i feel like in general like i have a lot of really strong female friends yeah. sorry for the background noise i have a lot of really strong female friends and i am myself am a very strong opinionated kind of alpha type person in in my life now that doesn't mean that i uh don't love an alpha-esque man as well like i think actually that's more of what i am attracted to because i need somebody who can equal me um and so to me it's like i have always like i said about when i first saw athena i was like this is a woman who speaks to me because what we had seen in film and in tv was all these like young weakling ingenue women who had to be rescued by men or whatever and um and what they've done in response to that in the last 10 years i don't think was a good fix because now they're just making women who are like just all these masculine traits on screen instead of just having it be a good balance of like these strong powerful women who are also women um but have some masculine traits because like we all have masculine and feminine traits um and so what i want to write is a woman who is still incredibly feminine but also a fucking badass and is intelligent i mean like i also like queen elizabeth the first is one of my like favorite people in history like i and um you know like just I mean, honestly like queen victoria too like the, mm-hmm. the women who who ruled i mean you know i just think about all of the women in history that have been queens have been warriors across all cultures and mm-hmm. you know you find them in in every culture and i love um I love seeing that and I love stories that are bringing that to light for this, for the same reason. Right. I mean, I realized myself, like I'm also that very like independent, don't tell me what to do kind of a person. And my husband's very much, um, you know, um, no. And then I'll be like, um, don't tell me what to do. But so like, we and balance it- each other, but also like, I'm just like, if I'm going to want to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to want to do it. So Maybe I never realized that until I was older that that's what I also would like to write. Not that I don't want to write a damsel in distress. Like, I'm sure at some point I will. I but have. For right and now, I like doing that I too. Want to. yeah. yeah. I also think, like, if we look back at women in history, like, to me, and maybe this is a controversial statement to any of the classic readers, but personally, I think two of the people with the most significant impact in storytelling today were incredibly strong powerful women and that's mary shelley and um uh i wanted to say anne hathaway but she played her um jane austen um you know like truly like impactful to today in storytelling brilliant brilliant women who told stories when they were told they weren't really allowed to you know so like I have always been drawn to these types of women and I've always wanted to put them on the page. And again, not to make them men. I don't want right. women yeah. who are masquerading as men on the page. I want women right. who are women and women are multifaceted just like men are. And that gets back to why Kellen, right. I think is a really good character. Cause he is showing that men can be soft and can be kind and can be like all these like, feminine things mm-hmm. which are just which are just human things like, by the way um 
I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but that, that are nurturing and caring and, uh, you know, like servient, like things like that, mm-hmm. that you can still be totally, uh, like you said, we're all multifaceted. We can be multifaceted people. We can have different sides of ourselves. And so I, I agree. I'm totally on the same page with you yeah. about. And we're talking in a gender binary when like in reality, yeah. like it's not like, it's not a binary. It's not like one versus the other. Mm-hmm. Like there is a lot of movement and in between. And so I don't know, mm-hmm. to me, I, I talk in a binary a lot because I am writing women. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, the best men in my life are the more nurturing ones. Mm-hmm. And honestly, they're more nurturing than any of the women in my life. And so yeah. I was re- lucky to have incredibly wonderful men in my life that I wanted to put on the page. Yeah, I would. I also would agree with that. I feel like my father was very much the nurturing, kind-hearted, soft, like, but also the provider, very hardworking, you know, so I feel like that is so true with you're saying about how it it's, can be very fluid and that we can be have multiple sides to ourselves. Yeah. And I don't know, like, okay, I am going to take a hard left turn here, but I am a Swifty. And to me, to me, Travis Kelsey is like the embodiment of, I think like somebody who represents both incredibly masculine traits and what is considered feminine traits and, and, and kindness and warmth in this like beautiful way. And again, I don't know this man, but I have watched like 15 of his podcasts now because I have fallen down this, this, this road, (laughs) but he is, he's somebody who he's always like, what's your elf, your fit? Like he's like very into fashion in this very like, yeah, like big way. And then he's like this masculine, like football player who threw his helmet the other day, but then also like calling his brother out for not helping his wife. Like, I'm like, this is the man. And like, aren't we all happy? He's dating our queen. Taylor Swift. Well, and then for her, she is the, the badass lady daddy. Like, yes. So Come on, let's yeah. bring it. We need I mean, some more of these. <laughs> I've never related more to a song in the world than The Man um, by Taylor Swift. That is like my anthem, my personal anthem, um, because that's how I've felt my entire life. I, I don't want to get into all of the times where I've been looked over for being a woman um, or been, you know, whatever. But like, yeah, Taylor Swift is our queen. She is our lady daddy. And <laughs> Travis Kelsey is in his own right, a shadow daddy. And look at that combination. But the greatness of Travis Kelsey is that he holds all of these things that like we've told men they can't be or, and that we want men to be in this beautiful combination of a person. (laughs) And again, I don't know this person. It could come out that he's awful, but in my mind castle and what I've seen from his podcast. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Sorry. Left turn. But I feel like it it was back to the right turn. (laughs) How has the last few months been since you've clearly been doing other things than just book related stuff? <laughs> well, so I uh, fell into this hole of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, and I have watched uh, 15 episodes of his podcast. And that's not what you were asking, though, right? I've no, also but... started I've also started um, listening to murder podcasts and falling asleep to them. <laughs> um, well, good thing is that I did read a study. That what you listen to when you're asleep 
or falling asleep, you, you do not remember. <laughs> it does not affect you. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna become a serial killer. No, it was a study on people who like listen to things to learn at night or something. They did some kind of study because you know you cram if you listen to your notes. Because I did sometimes do that. You don't recall any of that. You don't. Your brain does not remember anything. Perfect. So you're good. You're fine. Per- perfect. Because I have been, I've been falling to, asleep to this beautiful British man's voice who talks about murder. <laughs> so we'll just go that it's the voice. It's the voice. Okay. Um, so let's go back to book topics. <laughs> how have the last few months been with your release? Because... How has the last few months been with trying to keep Hazel on a topic? <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, because I feel like because you're releasing and especially now it's like two weeks literally like less than two weeks from now uh every time you're messaging me you're doing something else and I'm like what are you doing like but you're just avoiding writing and fair enough right you've got a lot going on so what has it been like coming just leading up to release like what have you been doing how like we talked about NetGalley that kind of you did a little bit uh, later on, which I think the timing was still great. Um, I think it was perfect. You know, you've had your book tours going on, which that's a lot of reposting and, you know, commenting, thanking people. Um, there's the printing, there's the launch event that you have. So just anything within the last couple months of what, I know that's a huge topic. We don't have a ton of time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, maybe we can do this later. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I think I can answer what. At least, I mean, not to go in super depth. Just you know, yeah. what, how how chaotic has it felt? I guess maybe the last oh, couple months. Absolute chaos. And um, at this point, I don't feel like I've had the time to write, but I also feel like I've been filling it up with anything but writing since August. So I've not written a single word since August. That's not completely true because I've like literally done a lot of work on plotting and again like I said I can write a book in two months (laughs) um but I had to take that break because of the insecurities we talked about with courting war and then followed quickly by um Will Spain Hall which we can talk about like that in a different podcast but I had to take a break because I was not capable of writing during that period of time so I filled it with all this other stuff that has now come back to bite me in the ass uh, in this, these next two weeks because I decided that I was going to paint special edition books uh, in incredible ways. Like, I mean, look at how gorgeous these things are. Um, oh, and that, by the way, the sound of that jingling is the necklace pre-orders that I decided to do <laughs> and the uh, wooden pre-orders and the seven other thousand pre-orders I decided to do, like a overly ridiculous human. Well, it's um, the give you too much time to do stuff and you fill it with time when you fill it I'm sorry you fill it with time you fill it with the things with activities things baby <laughs> like maybe I'm ADHD um, who knows and, you, and, and then you overcommit to things and you're like I have literally I think it's like 60 books sitting outside this office waiting to be painted I'm gonna die um so ask me in two weeks how I am but uh but what I really want to talk about besides that is just how I went into this having like I kept telling people don't tell me you think this book is gonna blow up because like seven people told me that I was like I need you not to do that because I already have a narcissistic brain tendencies and I don't need (laughs) like I don't want to go in with having all these huge expectations and then be brokenhearted by it and there's still that on the horizon like if if this doesn't scale the way that it's been doing like 
I'm probably going to feel sad about it, but anyway, but it's been doing incredibly well. So, I mean, the reception to the book has been overwhelmingly positive and like people have again been like just saying they love it. And I don't think it's just because they're all on tours, like even the net galley stuff, which like, you know, they wanted to do on their own. Um, just even the, just even the request rates. So like, for example, like I did a tour called book of magic media and I was expecting maybe 14 people to sign up for this book. We had 80 something people sign up for this tour, which means I had to send out like 15 more books than I expected. I just send out a bunch of audiobooks and eBooks and like all this stuff. So that was a lot. Um, and then and then because of that, like I had overdone the tours. Like I, I had scheduled nine because I thought I wanted like a tour going like each week of the month. Nine. Not... <laughs> okay. Okay. Nine okay, anyway. include, including the three that was the cover reveal. We, so really it's oh, only okay, six. Okay. Okay. We, we'll, we'll get to that in another episode. We will. We will get to Hazel's over ridiculousness, um, over doing everything in another episode, but I really, really, really wanted to launch a career. I wasn't just launching yeah. a book. I'm launching a career. And so I wanted to pour money into that. And honestly, I, I've said this, I just want this first book to be about visibility and getting yeah. my name and the book into the eyes of readers. And hopefully that will translate at some point to money. Um, but yeah, it's been overwhelming. The net galley thing has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, the the tours have been overwhelmingly positive, but also in the same way, because I am ADHD, because I have a lot of neurodiversity tendencies and parts of, you know, being a little bit autistic. I'm not autistic, but I have a lot of the tendencies. I've, I've been flagged on many tests to bring up those tendencies. Having to repost everything has been really hard for me because I feel the need to want to be very personal with everybody and like tell them I love them and like how much it means to me. But then like to do that is a lot of work and a lot of mental effort. And then I feel like I'm letting people down if I don't do the right thing. And it's just been a lot of effort that I'm like, I'm going to have to figure out some balance with this in the future as my career grows, because uh, I, you cannot be everyone's friend. <laughs> and that's like, what yeah, I want to be. Um, but overall, like these last three months, two months have been overwhelming in the most positive, like incredible way, like having 700 ads to Goodreads as an indie author, having, I think almost a hundred ratings and reviews before even, uh, the book coming out, you know, um, having just everything has been really wonderful and I have no idea how that's going to scale. I hope it scales and I hope, you know, the, the book continues to grow and you know, whatever, but who knows, who knows? I think I have a good blur, but I think I have a good cover. And so that's, I'm, I'm betting on that and a good book. So I'll bet on those three things. Yeah, no, I think it's been, you know, we'll, we'll come back to this. So we will, let me say that again. We will come back to this and we'll revisit once it's been a few months, maybe six months post-release to talk about how it's going and, and did the things that you did, did the things that you did. <laughs> that that doesn't sound right. But, um, it works. Okay. You know, you, you know what I mean? Uh, did they work out? Like, were they worth it? Were they worth the investment? Did Was the idea that you had about going wide and, and the visibility, like, did it work? So we'll come back and read that. Which, that that's why this was such a great... Uh, 
Like that's why I'm so glad that we started this podcast because honestly, mm-hmm. even if no one listened to us, it's just a great way for us to talk about the process and to kind of document it for ourselves to see our careers. Cause again, you want to launch a career. I want to launch a career. Um, so yeah. this was, this is fantastic. I'm very excited to look back at these episodes, you know, before we even have a career, like before we have yeah. followers on Instagram and like all this different stuff, like, to see where we're at because it's like it's kind of like a living times capsule and i'll i will end here because i'll end with the like overly optimistic and not it's not even optimistic i will tell you because then we can come back to it and i will tell you if i failed or or succeeded but i want to sell ten thousand copies in my first year that is like my stretch goal maybe unrealistic goal because, you know, traditional publishing people don't even sell that much, you know, but that is my goal. And we will see how ridiculous that is or was or wasn't uh, when we revisit it. So there's that. I can have crazy goals and ideas and passions. I think the difference though, is you control the marketing, you control everything about your book so if six months from now you want to run a promo on the pricing and you want to run an ad to boost your book again you can do that you can't Mm -hmm. do that with trad i mean you probably could but i could even recover it in six months like if i don't think this cover is working anymore i mean the cover is working everyone's yeah but if i don't think it's working i can change it exactly So you get to, you, yeah, it's a lot of work, but you are in control of what happens with your book. So you can guide it in different ways. Like you can do ads, you could do, you know, different marketing tactics. You can recover it. Like, like we talked about, these are all just different things that you can do. So I, yeah, sure. That's a stretch goal. And yeah, again, Chad doesn't always sell that many books either, but we've, we've talked, why shouldn't we dream big? Exactly. And Why shouldn't about- anyone dream big? Like, if you're even listening to this, like, dream big. Like, go for your dreams and don't let anyone stop you from believing that you can achieve what that dream is. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, we've talked about this before. The difference between trad and indie is that trad, it really matters what happens your launch week and how, and, and publishers will either continue to push a book based off of that or they won't at all whereas with indie it's all about growing like no indie book starts big I don't think I don't know I mean I'm I'm talking debut because once you're established that's a different thing but no indie debut starts big it has to grow and you have to foster Mm -hmm. that like a garden or whatever I'm something metaphor a garden but to Jamie's point (laughs) dream big have Delulu land goals be in the land of Delulu and Um, you never know what's going to happen because I, while I hoped the book would do this well pre-launch, I didn't actually think it would be doing as well as it. I mean, it's past my expectations. You never know. That's why I said in in the beginning of the podcast, like I wasn't being mean when I said it was more than I expected. It was just because that's, that's not as common maybe with, with a debut indie. So we've, been surprised at the reception and it's a lovely surprise and it's amazing but it but again this is 
our goal is to be very real in this podcast. So, <laughs> Yeah, Jamie, gosh, you're so mean to me. You didn't expect <laughs> me to have success. No, that's why I'm saying the six people who know about my book. <laughs> yeah. And, and no, it's not mean. It's just like, a oh, shit, like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love this. This is great. Um, but that's not the expectation going into it. I mean, again, dream big, right? So yeah. we did. We all yeah. were over here in Delulu land dreaming big, but I think both of us are very also realistic with expectations. And so it was nice when I saw that I was like, I knew you hadn't been asking people to go to your Goodreads and add it. No. So for me, when I saw that number, I was like, to me, my reaction was, oh my God, that's a lot. That's a lot of want to reads for you not asking people to put it on your want to read list. Yeah. You did it like once or twice in the beginning and that was it. I did it one time. Um, and there's a reason I haven't promoted the, uh, NetGalley or Goodreads. And it's partially because I wanted to see how successful it would do on based off the other stuff that was doing it. Right. So like, uh, so that I could measure that g- growth organically instead of trying to push it out. And also, I'm not a very good marketer on my own Instagram anyway. I mean, yeah. I can be, but it's a lot of energy and effort to me. So in some ways, I like paying other people to do that. Fair. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. And I will say as my last bit. Because, <laughs> because we keep saying it's our last bit and keep going. <laughs> well, you just talked about looking back on the episode because... I don't know, this may be our third episode, is that, who knows when, who knows when we'll get the, the what after this one out, is that I had, again, like we can control stuff, but my big thing to look back on, since we talked, since that was like our last bit that we talked about with with this episode, is I'm over here 35 weeks pregnant, (laughs) and so my big look back is holy shit, I'm doing this while I'm about to like pop out a baby and have a newborn and do all of my launching of stuff. So yeah, my timeline might shift a little bit, but like I am, whoa, cray cray. Like what am I I doing? I mean, I don't, I don't have children, nor do I really want them anytime (laughs) soon if I ever do want them, but I can't, even me as an anti-child person, I'm like, what the heck, girl? That's a lot. I, not, I don't. I love children. I don't. Don't come at me. No, I just. I don't want them for myself. Um, so even I, as the one person in our group of people who does not have children, am like, um. So like, you're pregnant though. Like, you're having a baby, and I've heard that's a lot of effort, which is why I don't <laughs> do it. It is a lot of effort, and maybe if you're watching this, maybe you didn't obviously hear it listening but I'm over here yawning like because it's 10 o'clock at night (laughs) I know and so anyway I'm excited because yeah I work full-time you work Mm full-time like yes I already have a child and now I'm about to have another one and then uh we're doing a podcast and so uh yeah and that's why it will come out chaotically because me and Jamie although she doesn't (laughs) want to admit it are creatures of chaos and chaos reigns how can I not be a creature of chaos when I literally also am starting a business with my brother? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, great. You'll you admit you're a creature of chaos. One hundred percent. Like, 
And this is why you've just stopped trying to keep me on a topic because you are like, people are okay with the fact that we're not on topic. <laughs> I was like, it's yeah, okay. So, okay, here's our uh, end of episode wishes. This is like a random thing that had nothing to do with this whole episode, but this is why we are who we are. So anyway. Uh, I mean, we did a Taylor Swift uh, turn in the middle of the episode. <laughs> we did a, we did we did a, a pregnancy did a pricing trope. turn in the middle of the episode. <laughs> Oh my god. Pregnancy trope. We'll leave it there. And you know how I feel about that. <laughs> um, anyway. But again, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we hope you come back. We do.